0: Yeah, I was struck, I, d- I don't know if you uh, heard the last words of that reading we had that Nita read earlier, but it just struck me, um, and it was a kind of, as an introduction to my talk. And uh, Banty says, um, what is going to come across, this is talking about exemplification, is, um, is that whatever point we have reached so far, we are truly making an effort to evolve. And it was this, these words, truly making an effort to evolve, that um kind of thought, well, this would be an interesting point to start my little talk. Um, I was ordained when I was 25 years old, I'm 64 now, so um, a great part of my adult life has been as an ordained Buddhist. Um, I was ordained in 1974. and. In 1976, I started taking responsibilities in the, um, what was called the Friends of the Western Buddhist Order. And um, a couple of years later, I was living in a men's retreat centre in Norfolk, which became Padmaloka, and I became the chairman. Um, So from an early age, a relatively early age, I was in my late 20s by then, mid-20s, late 20s, I started taking responsibilities um, within our Buddhist movement. And that process of taking responsibilities didn't stop. It hasn't really stopped. (laughs) I've tried to stop it, but um, I want to talk about it. (laughs) Um, And when I was ordained, um, of course, I I understood the importance of practicing the precepts, uh, of trying to live um, in accordance with the... Um, the, 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 the training of, um, of um, skillfulness, skillful mental states, skillful action, skillful speech. And I also took on um, responsibility as a way of trying to um, share the Dharma with other people. Um, my view of myself and I think this is a view of others is I'm not actually very ambitious. Um, I tend to just do the jobs that other people don't want to do. Um, so I usually end up as treasurer, for instance. Like No one wants to worry about money, so it's kind of one of the jobs I've often done. But I have been a chair, a uh, chairman, as we used to call them in those days, um, of um, several Buddhist centres, and I became, cut a long story short, I became a public preceptor, and I, I was the um, chair at Papmaloka for ten years, and um, sort of, in a way, developed the whole ordination process with the team of people I was working with um, at Padmaloka. And uh, and also in Australia and New Zealand, and for a while in the States. So I was doing, I was taking a lot of responsibility. And I, I guess I saw taking responsibility as part of my spiritual practice, as a very central part of my spiritual practice. And, and at one point, I think I even was called, um, uh, the group of us, this small group of um, public preceptors, were called Head of the Order. So I suppose in a way I got right to the top, you know, in terms of responsibility. I wasn't quite at the top. There are other people who used to take more responsibility than me, fortunately. But, you know, I was sort of floating along with them and uh, in this slipstream. And I was just, you know, doing things that needed to be done. And I found it very challenging sometimes. I found it very challenging to actually um, agree to do things I didn't particularly want to do, but I could see they needed doing. And uh, I, I saw that as a way of um, making a kind of um, uh, uh, making an effort to evolve my consciousness. I've meditated pretty consistently, and when I say consistently, I mean daily, for nearly 40 years, or well, for over 40 years actually, because I started meditating before I was ordained and um, so I've made an effort in that area, I've made an effort to study and so on. But it was responsibility, it was a really important part of my life up until about 10 years ago. Um, in fact there was a turning point, now, this is what I really wanted to talk about, that um, in December nine, in December 2002 uh, I went on a short solitary retreat, about two weeks long, 10 days long, in North Wales. It was in Middle of the winter. It was quite cold and quite pretty. Nice weather. It was uh, sunny. It was it, it, the place I had hired to um, um, do this solitary it wasn't ideal actually for solitary. When I got there, I realised it was on the, on an A road with lorries driving round it because there was a kink in the road. And I thought, oh, anyway, I decided that uh, I'd meditate with earplugs and uh, spend most of my time going for walks. And back in those days, people were talking about sort of pure awareness and watching the mind, and mindfulness was kind of becoming the in-thing. Um, not that mindfulness hadn't been part of my um, training, if you like, since I was ordained. So I decided to, I'd spend most of my days going for long walks. I used to go for about five-mile walks each day. And I used to try to just watch my mind so I'd be walking through a very beautiful countryside, lots of woods, climbing up into the hills. And I tried to just watch what was happening in my mind. So I'd see a pretty, you know, beautiful sight. And I think temperamentally, I'm a thinker. So whenever, whenever anything happens, I think about it. I don't, it's kind of, am not that interested in what I feel about it. I mean, I might just sort of feel hungry. Or, you know, someone says, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm like a, a lot of blokes would say, Fine. Um, partly because I'm not interested in what I'm feeling about, but I usually think about things. And, of course, that's just connected with feelings as well. And so I was thinking a lot. And then um, one evening I came home and I was thinking about making an effort in the spiritual life. And what I realised, and I don't know if you'll understand this, because it was kind of a like an insight type of experience. It's something became very, very clear to me. I realize that you cannot make an effort in the spiritual life. Because the spiritual life, depends what you mean by the spiritual life, if you see the spiritual life as kind of opening up to the Dharma and allowing the Dharma to affect you, you can't make an effort to make it happen. You can't force the Dharma to to appear. In fact, all you can ever do is think. And this is what uh, the Buddha calls prapancha, is that you have a constant flow of thoughts. So you think, oh, I'll make an effort to meditate. I'll make an effort to enter the stream or the order or even the river or the ocean. You know, whatever you think, it's just thoughts. And I thought, this is a complete contradiction. You can't actually live a spiritual life. Because... A spiritual life is like going beyond thoughts, but how can you go beyond thoughts whilst you're thinking about going beyond thoughts? And it was a kind of a serious crisis. It was as though everything I'd worked for, everything I'd done up until that point, no longer made sense. That I realised I could not lead a spiritual life because that was a joke. It was just a load of propuncture. And whatever anyone said about it, it was just like words. It was just thoughts. And I'd think about them, and I'd interpret them. I'd have experiences, and I'd interpret those experiences. You know, when we say, I know because I experienced it, we don't know. We have a little experience, and then we have this whole story around the experience, don't we? And then that's the experience, the story. And if someone says, well, it's... it's um," It's cold in here, and you're feeling hot. You say, no, no, it's hot in here. And that's your story. You don't get a thermometer out and say, actually, it's 22 degrees in here. It's, it's kind of just how we interpret our um, experience. And so I, I had this moment where I realized the spiritual life was a kind of joke. And it was a complete waste of time. And it was a joke where I was, quite honestly, solitary retreat, going to do a lot of meditating, and there were lorries going past all the time. So I, um, I gave up. It was a little luxury little lodge that I'd uh, rented. Turned the TV on, started watching a James Bond movie. I thought, this is just as equal as doing anything in spiritual life. I don't know if you can understand what I'm talking about, really, but it was a bit like a complete meltdown. I just thought, one thing must be as equal... Was another and um, I, I kind of got bored with James Bond after one movie so I turned on to another movie which was very moving it was a movie that Emma Thompson was in I think called The Long Goodbye and um, anyway to cut a long story short I realised the only thing that really came across in this movie is that the main character in it just before she died had no friends and I was sitting there in the armchair <laughs> the tv was on and i was thinking about what a state i was getting in i thought well but even thinking about being in a state of just thoughts and i thought well that's you know what can you it was kind of like kind of like madness really it was a sort of feeling that all you had were thoughts and there was no way out of thoughts because that was a thought even a way out of thoughts was a thought and that was kind of like just compounding the whole problem I, I could see that if I continued down this route, it wasn't going to be very good for me. And uh, it could have left me with a feeling of like, there's no point in car- <laughs> carrying on, for instance, and I might as well just get through life and have as many sensuous pleasures and just enjoy it and not bother. But I, something, it was a bit like another little voice said to me, well, this isn't going to really work, so what would work for you? What, what actually... Forget all this stuff about your thinking. What actually do you value? And I thought, well, friendship, you know I value friendship, and I right, don't even think about it. That was kind of what I told myself to do. Don't even think about it. Just acknowledge it. Friendship's important. And it was at that point I kind of realized that all this idea of taking responsibility and making an effort to evolve my consciousness wasn't necessary. Well, it is necessary. But it was as though I needed to do something else. And just before I, ha- I went on this solitary, I think it was Vidya Marlow, who I was in a relationship with, and still am, um, she kind of, she didn't mean to, but she kind of challenged me. Because we were talking about um, her experience of joining the order and my experience joining the order. And I said, I don't understand why people, if they don't like something, they just don't get it changed. And she said, well, you don't know what it's like not being at the top. You've always been at the center of the movement right from an early age. So you you've always been if you want to change things, you're one of the people that just changes things. And I sort of, you, know, you don't know what it's like for the rest of us, you know, powerless people <laughs> <coughs> who've got to talk to people like you to get something changed. And I said, well that's true. And I And I would like to talk to me about getting things changed. Um, so it was kind of the challenge was that I I thought um wouldn't it be interested to be a nobody? You know, like I was uh, I was at a point where I was a public preceptor, I was president of about six centres, um, I was ordaining people, I ordained about hundred and fifty men, fifty men privately. You know, I was you know, pretty successful and I was I was kind of reached a, a level of feeling like, well if I died tomorrow that would be a good life, you know, that was a good life worth living. And um, so what can I do next? It didn't seem like there was much to do next. So, you know, falling off the edge of the cliff might have been a good thing. But I carried on. So I thought of a new challenge. I thought, let's be a zero. You know, uh, I think in, in Swedish they call it a nola, or a, it's a nobody. It's like, um, you're, you're a nobody. It's quite difficult when people know you to be a nobody, because they keep saying, oh, it's so nice. And you, you can sort of hear people, you know, introducing you. Or Sona's been in the order for 40 years, you know, as well. This must be important. So to try to be a nobody and not have all that, sort it's quite difficult. But I did my best. So I thought what I'd do, and I knew that Vidyamala needed someone to help look after. I thought I'd become a carer. I thought I'd give up as much of this responsibility as I could without causing any waves or problems for people. And I'd be a nobody, I'd just be a carer. I don't want to say that carers are a nobody. <laughs> um, but it's an easy job being a carer, because someone just tells you what to do. So, you know, Vidya Mala would say, can you do the washing? Can you go shopping? Can you drive me somewhere? It was like a no-brainer, I didn't have to think, you know. And it was. Um, but what was important was actually just caring for someone. Vidya Mala, those of you who know Vidya Mala, She's a lot more mobile now than she was 10 years ago. She was in a terrible, um, far worse pain than she, she is now. And she needed a lot of help. Um, she never particularly made a big thing of it. But uh, I could see that she really you know, just needed someone, some strong being there to help her do it. So that's what I did. And I decided to make that my spiritual practice. Together with meditation, together with um, Carrying on some of the responsibilities. I gradually managed to resign a lot of the, from the responsibilities I had and other people took over. And uh, it's, been, it's been an interesting journey. And it's a bit like you have this idea you can become a somebody in a spiritual life. And when you become that somebody, you realise what you need to do is become a nobody. I don't know if you can just be a nobody and stay as a nobody. You Maybe you have to go through this phase of being a somebody and realising it's a waste of time, and then going back to being a nobody. And maybe some of you are more sensible and you cut through all that crap and just you know, be where you are. But um, what I, I realise, and this is a very, I think, a really important point, is that um, when we make an effort, what we make an effort in isn't about the Dharma. It's about karma. It's about making preparations for kind of opening up to... Well, not kind of, it's making preparations for opening up to something that is bigger than us. And there's now this term that we're starting to use in Tree Ratna called a suprapersonal force, which isn't to be mistaken as a kind of force, that uh, Darth Vader force or something like that. Is a. It's just that one's opening up to something that's bigger and it's almost... It's unknowable, indescribable, but you can't actually force yourself to get it. You can't sort of force it to come to you. All you can do is become more, as it were, pure, more finely tuned, more um, receptive. And you do that by kind of not forgetting about yourself, because you're actually doing it for yourself, But actually stepping away from yourself, and it's a bit like what Sirika says, stepping away from yourself to become bigger. And in that biggerness and in that practice of meditation and relaxing your mind and quietening your mind and opening up your mind, something will happen. Something that's so completely different to what's happening now that will happen and you'll presumably be a Buddha or at least a stream entrant, or at least a non-returner, once-returner, or our hunt, or a Bodhisattva. <laughs> <clears throat> Something will happen, but you can't really make an effort to make it happen. And But what you can do is care. You can just care for yourself and care for other people. You don't have to actually be a somebody. It's said in one of the... Um, poems by Sangharakshita that the best bodhisattva is just the ordinary bodhisattva, like a brick in a wall. I think he calls, talks about bricks in a wall. If you look at the wall, you'll see lots of bricks. And every brick is important. But one brick doesn't have to be more important than another. And it's kind of getting away from this idea that you're important. Well, you are in a way, because you have to make an effort. You have to be important yourself. But actually your spiritual life can consist of something so simple, so easy and so demanding as just caring for other people. And I think what uh, Prasada was talking about is, 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 in a way, it's exactly the same thing. It's just taking on this practice of going beyond yourself. And what Zurika was talking about with a team is not being up here being somebody, but actually just being part of something else. And all of you who come to the centre, you can all be part of what's going on, whether you're washing up the teacups, helping to keep the centre clean, giving money to the centre. Whatever you're doing is just all part of this whole process. (coughs) And that is the spiritual life. That is the spiritual life. The spiritual life consists of doing that. That's where you make an effort to evolve. And you make an effort to sit on your cushion, on your chair and do nothing. And just wait and open up. So that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, it's great. So. <laughs> Thank you.